Well, here we are, first episode of the new podcast, and uh, my name is Sean Dietz. Thanks for listening, and uh, for the first one, I was going to make it really simple, and I just uh, dug back through some of the things that uh, I've done in the past, and found found an interview that uh, is, I think, both still timely and uh, also interesting. Uh, I had a chance a few years back to talk to former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson, uh, he is the Libertarian Party candidate for president, not only this year, but was also their nominee in 2012 after he left the Republican Party uh, after trying to seek uh, their nomination. Uh, this particular interview comes from January of 2011 uh, when he was coming through the state at that time, uh, trying to uh, uh, garner a little bit of name recognition. Uh, not too many people had heard of Gary Johnson around the state at that point uh, and uh, still kind of in that mode even today, but uh, certainly a lot more people have heard of him now than had uh, five and a half years ago now. Um, but Gary's been through the state several times, been on RAGBRAI, and uh, interesting guy to talk to, as you'll hear here in just a few minutes. And even though the interview is five and a half years old, um, you'll find, if you do a little bit of research on Gary, you'll find that a lot of things that he told me in this interview five and a half years ago still pertain today. And uh, so, rather interesting, I think, uh, to hear the consistency there, which which is important, even if you don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things that he stands for or a lot of the things that uh, he puts forth in his platform. So, uh, we're going to Go back to this interview five and a half years ago. Um, be kind and be gentle. Uh, I was uh, I was pretty new to the uh, interview scene. I had only been working in radio a couple of years at this point, and uh, uh, still don't have any classical radio training whatsoever. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, here it is: uh, my interview with Gary Johnson from January 2011. And uh, thanks for listening. We are visiting with uh, former New Mexico Governor Gary Johnson today. He's in Iowa promoting the Our America Initiative. Is that correct? Our America Initiative, right. Okay. Uh, for those listening, I would love uh, for everyone to get online, ouramericainitiative.com, and tell me what they think. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about the initiative. What's it all about? Well, uh, so in the last year, I've been on the road. I've probably talked to uh, about 400 groups. I've been to 32 states. Uh, this is my fourth trip to Iowa. But really, I'm trying to put a voice to what I think is the national outrage over being bankrupt. The fact that uh, we're borrowing 43 cents out of every dollar that we're spending. And the solutions that go along with that. So I am advocating a balanced budget uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, that would mean cutting uh, government expenditures by 43%. Because, again, 43 cents out of every dollar that we're spending is borrowed. Uh, and and uh, how we go about doing that. And that, of course, would entail Medicaid, uh, Medicare, uh, Social Security, and defense. Okay. Um, and as a former uh, executive, you've got a little bit of experience in doing that. How were you able to accomplish uh, some of the things you're talking about at the state level? Well, I think that uh, first, as governor of New Mexico, I ran for governor of New Mexico uh, one as a Republican, served two terms in a state that was two to one Democrat by uh, promising to run state government like a business, uh, that everything would be a cost-benefit analysis. Uh, what, are we, what are we spending our money on and what are we getting for the money that we're spending? And in that context, Sean, uh, 
uh, I got known for a couple of things nationally. One was um, I probably vetoed more bills while I was governor of New Mexico than the other 49 governors in the country combined. Uh, and just saying no doesn't fly. Uh, you got to have reasons for doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I love the job. I love the debate and the discussion that went along with the job. And that debate and that discussion went along with uh, vetoing 750 bills while I was governor of New Mexico. Uh, only two of the bills were overridden, so it, uh, it um, amounted to uh, saving New Mexicans billions of dollars worth of spending. And I think that it made a positive impact uh, in New Mexico. So looking at the federal government and what the government spends, how, how do you go about cutting that amount of money? Really, you, you, uh, everything is a cost-benefit analysis. In the case of Medicaid and Medicare, uh, I think that the federal government should block grant the states uh, a fixed amount of money, which really capitates what we spend Medicaid and Medicare, and leave the delivery of health care to the poor uh, and those over 65 to the states. Uh, when it comes to Social Security, Social Security is, is a relatively small problem uh, compared to Medicare. Medicare is going to engulf the federal budget here in a fairly short amount of time if we don't rein it in. It, it in. But uh, Social Security, uh, it's, it's a system where money in needs to exceed money out. And right now we're at the point where money in, uh, actually money out is exceeding what's being paid in. So I think that that's a combination of raising the retirement age. That may be a combination of raising the amount of money that uh, gets the threshold uh, of the amount of money that gets subject to uh, Social Security withholding. Uh, that may mean a slight reduction in benefits, uh, and that may involve means testing. Uh, and then looking at defense, uh, those being the big four, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, and defense, uh, looking at defense and recognizing that we're spending more money than all the other countries in the world combined and we're only 5% of the world's population. So to me, we need to stop this whole nation building when we have our own nation to build. Uh, I would have been uh, opposed to us going into Iraq at the very beginning. Uh, I thought that we had the military surveillance capability to see Iraq roll out any weapons of mass destruction. If they would have done that, I felt like we could have gone in and surgically militarily addressed that. I thought if we went into Iraq, we would find ourselves in a civil war to which there would be no end. I thought Afghanistan was initially completely warranted, that it was a military strike against Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. I think we are at war with Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. I think we're at, we're at war with terrorism. But is that a threat coming from Afghanistan right now? Ten years after getting into Afghanistan, no, it's not. So we're building roads, schools, bridges, highways, and hospitals in Iraq and Afghanistan, and we're borrowing 43 cents out of every dollar to do that. I just think we should get out of Iraq and Afghanistan tomorrow. And the issues that we will face getting out of Iraq and Afghanistan tomorrow are going to be the same issues we'll face getting out of those two countries 25 years from now, if that's when we decide to get out. I'm afraid at the end of the day we're going to spend a whole lot more money in both of these locations, and even worse yet, a whole lot more men and service women are going to end up losing their lives. 
And in traveling the country, I don't know of, I have not run across a single soul that thinks that we should have 100,000 troops on the ground in Europe. Not one. I don't know what the case is to have several thousand troops on the ground in uh, Europe, but 100,000? And then Japan, 30,000 troops on the ground. Uh, Philippines, uh, we've had, uh, I think that this needs to be completely reanalyzed and uh, brought in line with what I would say are the realities of 2011. This is not 70 years ago. This is today. And the new world reality is that United States can't continue to be the world sheriff. Right. Um, you mentioned, uh, um, you know, pulling out, you know, what you would like to see is, is getting out of Iraq and Afghanistan tomorrow. That's something the current president uh, talked about is getting out of Afghanistan and Iraq. And he's obviously kind of put the brakes on since he's taken office on that. Um, you know, what 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 do you think about um, President Obama's stance and kind of where he's gone with that uh, from his initial campaign stance of we're going to get out of Iraq and we're going to reevaluate Afghanistan. What do you think? How would you grade his job there? Well, I would grade it as horrible. I certainly uh, listened to President Obama campaigning. And uh, on the bright side, I thought uh, electing President Obama would result uh, in uh, no military presence in Iraq. And I thought that uh, his rhetoric regarding Afghanistan would be that we would take a close look at it. And I felt that by taking a close look at it, that we would be out of Afghanistan also, believing that that is just not a threat to our national security. Threat to our national security is Al-Qaeda in the uh, tribal regions of Pakistan, and Pakistan is an ally. Right. Um, uh, there seems to be, uh, in doing some research on you, and I've, and I've watched a little bit on, uh, on the web about you, and... Um, there there's, seems to be a disconnect with yourself and other more mainstream Republicans. Can you define what that difference might be for some people that might not know? Well, uh, I, I, would just, I would just argue that what Republicans ha- are, are, Republicans have always been to me, the reason I'm in the Republican Party and remain a Republican, is that I think Republicans do a really good job of uh, balancing the checkbook of doing a really good job of really looking at what we're spending and, uh, uh, and, and doing a good job of managing that pocketbook. Now, Sean, I was asked a couple of weeks ago on national TV what I thought about repealing President Obama's health care plan. Well, I think that we should repeal President Obama's health care plan, but I just thought that the Republicans, uh, as a way to gain credibility, should offer up a repeal of the prescription health care benefit that they passed when they control both houses of Congress and the presidency. My point here is that both parties can share in this spending and, and the predicament that we find ourselves in, that predicament being bankruptcy. Uh, and um, Americans did give Republicans a, a chance at doing this. And I think Americans, in their wisdom, wanted a, a balanced budget. Uh, why... Americans would give Republicans another chance at this. I'm not sure, but I am convinced that Republicans are the only party that are going to be able to do this. And that I think the biggest threat to our national security, I think the biggest threat to our way of life, is the fact that we continue 
to spend more money than what we take in. My entire life, I've watched government spend more money than what it takes in, and I have always thought that that is just not sustainable and that there would be a day of reckoning. I think that day of reckoning is here right now. Okay. Um, and uh, one one other thing I wanted to touch on was um, where, where you kind of came from, your background. You built a construction business, is that correct? Well, so I started a one-man handyman business in Albuquerque in 1974, uh, me. Uh, and in 1994, I actually had a 1,000 employees, uh, electrical, mechanical, plumbing, pipe fitting, Really, uh, American dream come true. Show up on time, do what you say you'll do for people, do a little bit more than what you say you'll do for people. Uh, a real testament to a thousand really hardworking uh, employees. Uh, I sold that business in 1999. Uh, nobody lost their job, and uh, business is doing better than ever. And that's kind of, that kind of brings us full circle. You say you know, up to 1994, you had a thousand employees and then that's kind of where you took over and you were governor of New Mexico so that kind of brings us full circle. Well so I became governor of New Mexico in 1995 and served as governor of New Mexico through 2002 so two terms as governor of New Mexico and I really view my uh, venture into politics as entrepreneurial. Uh, I've never been involved in politics prior to running for governor of New Mexico. I've always thought politics was a high calling, be in a position to do good by others, and I realize that whole notion of doing good by others is uh, completely up for grabs. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that you could have lines of people out the door here uh, that would tell you that I, that I was a horrible governor. I recognize that, but um, in, in my estimation, I really made a positive difference, and uh, every, every single issue was uh, about trying to understand the issue, trying to find out exactly what was what, and uh, base my decisions and actions on that for the benefit of New Mexicans and, and not uh, any consideration given to uh, politics. And left with a high approval rating, if I, my understanding is correct. Left with a high approval rating in a state that was uh, two-to-one Democrat. Um, and uh, the last question I've, I've got for you is uh, most people think about uh, New Mexico governor. They think about Bill Richardson. He's obviously uh, had presidential aspirations. Anything there for you? Well, uh, right now I am the 501c4, Our America Initiative. Right. And uh, uh, it's an advocacy committee. I'm the honorary chairman, which allows me to be a political activist. But, uh, Sean... I can't talk about running for political office as part of my legal status with the 501c4. Okay. Sorry for the cop-out, but <laughs> I sure don't want to get sideways with my legal status. He's towing the line. That's all right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for talking with us, Governor. All right, Sean. Thanks. Well, so there you have it. Hopefully that wasn't uh, too painful to listen to as the uh, new interviewer I was at that point in time when that was conducted uh, five and a half years ago now. But that was my interview with Gary Johnson in January of 2011, and I don't believe that anything that he told us in that interview is any different today than it was then. And one thing that has changed, though, is the political spectrum has shifted, I would say, significantly. And the reason I say that is because the battle that Gary is in and other third-party candidates as well. Jill Stein uh, would be another one that falls into this category. Is polls. They have, to, they have to get into polls. 
they they have to break 15% to uh, get into the presidential debates. It's not going to happen for Jill Stein, I don't believe. Um, there's just not the following there. I think most people who um, fit in the Jill Stein category probably still haven't learned about her. And even if they have, uh, are probably falling in lockstep with Hillary Clinton because that's what the left seems to do is they seem to fall in lockstep with who they're supposed to fall in with and that's how they win a lot of these big races a lot of times is you know out of shared uh, a common enemy in uh, in uh, Republicans a shared enemy in conservatives and they know in order to win they have to unite whereas on the right it's a completely different story. Um, typically, you'll have people that will go in and they'll hold their nose and, and vote for whoever the Republican nominee is, but it's a little bit different this time for a couple of reasons with Trump because he's never been a conservative. Uh, he's never claimed to be a conservative up until he decided to run for president as a Republican. He has a long history of being on record as fairly liberal on a number of issues. Um, and all at once he decides to run for president as a Republican and he expects people to fall in line behind him and it's not happening because people on the right generally tend to think of themselves as principle over party type, uh, type individuals. Well, so... That's why we're seeing this birth to this third-party um, conversation that we haven't had for certainly my lifetime. Uh, you, could, you could say Ross Perot was in there, but he was he was completely 100% independent. He wasn't uh, a member of a party of any type. Uh, and because of the effect that Ross Perot had in 1992, they kept him out of the debates in 1996 when he ran, also completely unaffiliated with a party and we haven't seen an independent candidate or a third party candidate involved in a debate since 1992 because of the effect that Ross Perot had on the 1992 election. Uh, I think it's fair to say that both major parties have worked very hard and done everything that they can uh, to have the Presidential Debate Commission keep third parties out of the debates. Why? Because of what happened in 1992. You had tw almost 20% uh, of the popular vote go to a third party, go to an independent candidate in Ross Perot. If you were able to see a third party or independent candidates in the national debates on a consistent basis, the two major parties would lose their grip quickly. Um... And so we're kind of sitting on the precipice of that uh, this year. Gary Johnson needs to poll at 15% to get into the national debates. Uh, some polls have him at 9, 10. He's been as high as 16 in some polls. But I want to talk a little bit about a poll recently released um, just about a week or so ago 
and as I'm recording this, it's August 13th. Um, and this poll is out of Utah. Now, granted, one state is one state. I understand that. But I'm going to get to the point of why I'm sharing this here in a moment. Um, Trump is at 29% in this poll. Clinton is at 27% in this poll out of Utah. Again, Trump 29, Clinton 27 in this poll out of Utah. Those are your two major parties, adding up for a total of just under 60%. Okay, so those are the two candidates you have to choose from in Utah. They're telling you, you got to pick one of these. Well, in Utah, apparently the folks who responded to this particular poll say, no way. Because more than 40% of people are saying they don't want Clinton, they don't want Trump. Gary Johnson draws 26% in that poll. That's a statistical tie in Utah. Gary Johnson with Clinton and Trump. That's within the margin of error of that poll. So you have a statistical three-way race between Clinton, Trump, and Johnson in Utah, according to this one poll. Again, I know it's only one poll, and I know it's only one state. Here's why I wanted to talk about this poll, though. We constantly hear about how we have to vote for the lesser of two evils because of the fact that we want to keep the other party out. Whatever you don't like about our guy, you got to vote for the you have to vote for our guy because it's going to keep the big bad guy in our case the Democrats, Hillary Clinton, you're going to keep her out. Well, if you're a conservative or libertarian leaning Republican in Utah, that's not the case. They've shifted the agenda. They've shifted the window successfully now in Utah, I think, because what about this? What if what if I'm a conservative voter in Utah and you're putting Trump up against Gary Johnson? Compare the conservative credentials there. When we came into the 2016 race, there was a whole lot of Republicans who wanted to back a governor. At first, it was Scott Walker. Um, a lot of people really liked Rick Perry. And the reason they look at these guys, uh, Bobby Jindal was, was up there at one time. And, and a lot of the reason why people focus on governors like this is because they want that executive experience. Okay, Trump certainly has executive experience in the business world, but Gary Johnson also has a lifetime of experience in the business world. You heard him talk about it in the interview. He started a one-man handyman business in Albuquerque back in the 70s, grew that to a business where he has over a 1,000 employees. Okay, so you have executive experience there. Then Johnson gets elected. Has never run, had never run for office before, but he gets elected as governor of New Mexico as a Republican in a state that's two-to-one Democrat. Now that shows that he's he's got a little bit of willingness to work with people. Or does he? He gains a reputation as a guy that vetoed 
over 700 bills that came out of the New Mexico legislature. And then he gets reelected. Amazing. Now, Republicans are always telling us that you can't do these types of things because you have to get reelected. And if you stand on your conservative principles, if you can stand, if you stand on your morals, you don't get reelected. Well, here's Gary Johnson, who admittedly does not share some of the same principles and some of the same morals as a lot of conservatives, certainly in Utah. But he stood on what he believed in, so much so to the point that he rejected, he vetoed over 700 bills. And guess what? The people in New Mexico sent him back for another four years as a Republican in a state that's two-to-one Democrat. How's that for Republican credentials? How's that for Republican executive experience? Republicans, I'm talking to you. Think about that. Whereas Trump, you look at what was Trump doing while Gary Johnson was governing the state of New Mexico? Well, I'll tell you what he was doing. He was cutting checks to Hillary Clinton. He was cutting checks to Chuck Schumer and other big-time liberals, keeping them in office, rolling with the status quo, while Gary Johnson was sitting in the governor's mansion in New Mexico rejecting the status quo, rejecting bills from the legislature that grew state government, rejecting bills that increased spending, that increased taxes. That's what Gary Johnson was doing. So when, you, when you're looking at this, and if you say, well, if you vote Johnson, then it's a vote for Trump, or some on the left are saying, if you vote Johnson, it's a vote for, for uh, Trump. This poll proves that that's not the case, because he's not stealing votes from either one of them. He's got a following of his own. And what if the real election in Utah is not between Trump and Clinton? What if the real election in Utah and maybe other states, Colorado, New Mexico, is between Johnson and Clinton? And if that's the case, conservatives, you've got some answering to do if Clinton wins those states. So take a hard look at Gary Johnson. Take a real hard look at him and compare him with Donald Trump. If you're a conservative, yes, there are some things about Gary Johnson that you just cannot get on board with. I understand that completely. But the same can be said for Donald Trump. But what I can tell you about Gary Johnson that I cannot say with the same faith about Donald Trump, Gary Johnson is not a member of the political status quo. Donald Trump has stood up there on the debate stage time after time and time again, propping himself up as an anti-establishment candidate, yet talking the whole way about how he's willing to compromise with the Washington establishment. You've got to be kidding me. And yet somehow this guy gets the anti-establishment vote. I don't understand it. Folks, take a hard look at Gary Johnson. That's what I'm going to say. Where, where do I stand on Gary Johnson right now? As it sits right now, he's the only candidate who will be on the ballot in all 50 states that I can at least hold my nose and vote for. There's a lot of things that Gary Johnson stands for that, that I reject. He calls himself pro-choice. I'm not a fan of that, obviously. If you, if you follow me, if you, if you know me at all. Uh, then you know that that's something that I can't get on board with. But here's the thing. 
Gary Johnson, even though he calls himself pro-choice, has a better pro-life record than most Republican governors. Think about that for a second. As governor of New Mexico, he signed a bill that outlawed late-term abortions. He continues to hold that stance to this day, even though he calls himself pro-choice. See, what he's doing is he's being honest. He's looking at the pro-choice, pro-life argument, and he's saying he's pro-choice, which I don't particularly care for, but you take a Republican governor in the same example, and they'll call that, they'll, they'll sign the same bill into law, but they'll, they'll call that pro-life. Well, I can at least appreciate Gary Johnson's honesty that he wants to keep abortions legal up to 20 weeks, but he's at least willing to call that what it is. He recognizes that as pro-choice. Republicans would look at that and say, well, no, I'm pro-life because I, I, I want to doubt law abortions after 20 weeks. Wink, wink. So there's an honesty there that I can appreciate. Um, and there are other things as well, but uh, I'm not going to take the time to get into those right now because um, you know we're, we're getting a little lengthy uh, with, with this one. Anyway, thanks for visiting the site. Uh, thanks for uh, checking us out here at deetsforiowa.com. Uh, we're going to try to do podcasts once a week, once we get rolling here. Um, again, it's August 13th as I'm recording this. I'm not sure exactly what the date is going to be uh, when I get this released and get it up on the site. Um, but uh, just for a reference point, want to mention uh, that it is August 13th, 2016, and that's when uh, this is being recorded. Uh, so anyway, deetsforiowa.com, that's where you're at. That's where you're listening to this podcast. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll check in again hopefully in a week or less. 